You know, this may be heresy in a community as oriented toward tradition as this one seems to be. But, and the generally pleasant position to take is that everybody has a piece of the action. You know, the Hasids know something, the Buddhists know something, the Book of Mormon, there's something there. The mushroom was incredibly ungenerous on this point. It said, nobody knows jack shit about what is going on. So it is for you with your body as laboratory and your mind as worker in that laboratory to find the way to reflux the alchemical gold the only experience which counts is your own experience. Everything else is somehow handed down through social structures and political structures. It, it's irrelevant. If flying saucers were to land on the south lawn of the White House tomorrow, it would not matter to you as much as smoking DMT would if you did that tonight. Because that's your experience your conviction, you see. And I believe that uh, the rebirth of paganism, the rebirth of archaism, the rebirth of psycho psychedelic shamanism is coming at this moment because we are going to be involved in a historical meltdown which will be the equivalent of a species-deep shamanic crisis in which, as a collectivity, we are going to have to make the journey to the well of worlds and recover and cleanse the collective soul of humanity. We have lost touch with our moral compass because we have lost touch with the Gaian mind. And this is not a metaphor. If you, if, if you take these neurotransmitters, these exopheromones that connect you up with the natural environment, the Gaian intent becomes known. It's an act of feeling. If we could feel what we are doing, we would stop doing it. But we live in a realm of abstraction, excuses, incredible wealth, incredible levels of pampering and softness lie between us, the upper 5% of the intellectual and uh, material elite on the planet, and the problems. I mean, how many of us have been to Bosnia or Rwanda or Somalia? These things are only images on a dehumanizing screen. If we could feel what we are doing, we would awaken to the mystery of each other and to the mystery of the historical process of recovering what was lost. We don't need this material civilization. We don't need five billion people on this planet. We have to think very, very radically about how we are going to change ourselves or we're not going to make the cut. And orthodoxy is utterly and completely bankrupt. All it can do is suppress. They suppress, they suppress, they suppress. But there's only one argument that will forgive 
suppression, deliverance, and they can't give us deliverance. All they can give us is the Menendez trial, OJ, Baby M, the skaters, Klaus von Bülow, horseshit, horseshit, horseshit. We are locked inside uh, a nightmare, a nightmare of contaminated and toxic imagery that is designed to disempower you and make it impossible for you to think straight. And the way out is straight back to the reality of the vegetable gnosis. It is there. It has always been there. The societies that never broke the connection live in dynamic and loving balance with each other and the planet today were it not for the input of our disruptive social and economic systems. So I, I talk to all kinds of people who I see as part of my community, but it stretches from virtual reality to the radical gay movement, to the house movement, to the pagan movement, to the younger molecular pharmacologists, to the radical art historians and psychotherapists. All of these communities are fragmented and suspicious of each other, and this is precisely what orthodoxy enjoys. If all of these countercultural impulses could make common cause, we would probably discover that we're 65 to 70 percent of the population. And so what is needed is a spirit of boundary dissolution between individuals, between classes, sexual orientations, rich and poor, man and woman, uh, intellectual and feeling-toned types, if this can happen, then we will make a new world. And if this doesn't happen, nature is fairly pitiless uh, and has a place for us in the shale of this planet where so many have preceded us. Well, I think that's the basic rave. It raises a lot of issues. If somebody's burning to ask a question, uh, Yes, burning to ask. Well, I think that uh, it's very hard to find pristine, quote, pseudo-paleolithic or pseudo-neolithic culture. Even the Amazon, where I've spent a lot of time uh, tribes that were nomadic at the time of, of uh, contact are now agriculturalists simply because missionary medicine has swollen aboriginal populations to the point where they can't be nomads as they used to be. So you're right, there are some psychedelic using cultures that are pretty uh, uh, unappealing, although actually I can only think of one that I find politically very unappealing, and I don't want to knock them because I haven't lived with them, so I may be misled. But I think that uh, it's not simply to take psychedelics. 
but it's also to decondition oneself to the notion of ego and all the concepts which constellate around that, such as place, property, ownership, and stability. You see, the idea that we have inherited from Western religion and science is the idea that things should be stable. This is a very male-dominant notion, the wish for stability, eternity, uh, when in fact the message life hands you over and over again is nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. Not what you love, not what you hate, not your enemies, your friends, not even your dear, dear self. Nothing lasts. And the ego goes mad in the presence of that truth. It, it, it can't swallow it. And so we have anxiety of death, need to dominate people, need to possess property, uh, terror of illness, uh, resentment of fate, because we are not in the flow. And I think what these psychedelics do is they put you very much in the here and now. And it's nothing more than that. I mean, obviously, I'm an egghead and an abstract thinker, and I hope to make my reputation in mathematics. But feeling is the primary validator of existence. I mean, if you don't know that, you, you, you've got to go back to square one. And these things empower feeling. They are catalysts for the imagination. I mean, you may not like what psychedelics do to you. They may terrify you. But if it terrifies you, then surely it must have catalyzed your imagination or you wouldn't have known that terror. So catalysis of the imagination in a fairly loving and yet ruthless way is what the psychedelics deliver. Anybody who calls this escapism is sitting on their thumb. I mean, they don't know what they're talking about. Reality is for people who can't handle this stuff. <laughs> Uh, I do want to say one thing. It almost slipped my mind, and for those of you who have your hands up, I apologize, but I think this needs to be said, and I don't know how many of you know it, but this comes under the... Uh, this, this, is head, this is a news flash, folks. <clears throat> we interrupt this program to bring you a special announcement. A new psychoactive substance has been discovered a very powerful psychoactive substance, the most powerful since the discovery of LSD, a substance so powerful that 300 micrograms is the dose. That means one gram will dose 7,000 people. Uh, this compound comes from a plant. The plant is, and I hope you're paying attention, the plant is legal. The compound is legal. You can possess it. You can manufacture it. You can transport it across borders. You can give it away, you can sell it, and you can do it on stage. And it comes from a plant. And the plant is also available. And, and I want to tell you about this because I, I, okay, no shoving, no shoving. 
<laughs> All right, the, not to keep you in suspense any longer. Uh, the plant is salvia divinorum. Salvia divinorum, which some of you who are real mavens of this stuff know, have, know it. It's been in the books for 30 years. The problem was nobody knew how to get off. And so it was always carried in these lists as suspect hallucinogen. The thing is, any scientist confronted with a plant where somebody says it's a hallucinogen will test to see if it's an alkaloid. All hallucinogens, almost all, are alkaloids. So salvia divinorum, negative for alkaloids doesn't matter. It has a new, unknown compound in it, now known, salvorine alpha. And the interesting thing about salvorine alpha is we have in this country what's called a structural near relatives or cogener law, which says if a compound is a structural near relative, isomer, endantiomer, or stereoisomer, of an illegal compound, then it too can be made illegal. Salvia divinorum doesn't fit this description. That means that in order to make this stuff illegal, the government will have to present medical data showing there is something wrong with it. And at this stage, nobody on earth knows the real pharmacological parameters of this compound. So here's the deal. You can grow this plant in a window box, in your apartment, in your backyard. It looks like Joe Plant. There is nothing particularly distinguishing about this plant. And if you have three or four cuttings, in six or seven months you will have more than you know what to do with. The, and, and then I'll just describe how I do it. I have not, I'm slightly chicken shit to do the pure compound, which, by the way, you do 300 micrograms. Understand that what that looks like is a grain of salt. A small grain of salt is a human effective dose. It comes on so fast that you have no impression of it coming on at all. You do it... And then, after a while, you notice that for a long time you have been staring at something incomprehensible. <laughs> well, let me here's how I recommend that you do it while we get the chemical thing sorted out, because the chemical, it could be dangerous. It would be very easy to overdose by a factor of 10, 20, 30, and you would still just be doing a smidgen. So I say, Let's honor the plants. Let's not hand the government a bunch of casualties that it can cluck over and put on national TV, you know, the bibble, bibble, bibble show. Uh, let's use the plant. And the way you do it is you grow up a batch of this stuff and get uh, between 15 and 20 leaves. Remove the mid-vein with your fingernail just to lower the mass fold it all into a little pile, put it in your mouth, and 20 leaves is a whopping mouthful. So basically, as much as you can get in your mouth, put it in your mouth, lie down in silent darkness, and squeeze this stuff with your jaws. Tastes like it's horrible. It's not as bad as ayahuasca, but it's horrible.
you're listening to Third Rail Radio, and with your host, Annie Crisis 73 and Ancap Dalek. If you guys want to call in, the number is 646-929-1480. That's 646-929-1480. All right, here it comes, your host. Any crisis seventy three and and Cap Dalek. Dalek, how are you tonight, man? Not much, man. How's my uh, how's my volume level? Good. I'm doing really well. Uh, well, you're doing really well. I think I'm doing really well too, right? Yeah, you sound you're uh, you're actually coming in really well. Very clear. Uh, hunky dory, hunky dory. So I I love that that you played that as the intro, intro that uh that Terrence McKenna bit, um, you know, he, uh, he really was ahead of his time, um, not just in his sort of philo- philosophical, uh, um, using, but also, uh, he did make a name for himself in mathematics, um, and, uh, he deciphered the I Ching, um, into a, uh, working, uh, into a working mathematical equation, um, to turn that into an algorithm, really, I mean, incredibly bright man who is so far ahead of his time um, and about the internet too uh, you know he was he was on the internet early he gives a great lecture about um, sort of uh, his postulating about the internet um, you know being the new realm of the psychedelic um, and I don't, I don't think it's come to fruit there yet but it certainly has sort of the same um, um um, effects as far as breaking down boundaries, connecting, um, and uh, you know, getting people who don't normally mix together to uh, to connect. Um, so valuable lesson from Terrence McKenna. If you're ever in the need of something uh, chill to listen to, YouTube him. Um, he gave a ton of lectures, and uh, they got more and more um, insightful and. Um, um, a little, a little darker, you know, but that that, uh, that makes sense. Um, so, I know Glenn is in the chat room. This is a totally casual show. Um, it, uh, it we, if anybody wants to call in and bring up anything, um, either in current events. The only thing I don't really want to talk about tonight is anonymous, um, and. Uh, I don't know. It just kind of had enough of that, of that for the moment. Um, that's why it was so nice to hear Terrence McKenna. Uh, he soothes me. But um, you know, we're watching things uh, kind of continue to to build in the world. Um, uh, Glenn and I talked a little bit about Venezuela last night, and uh, the latest out of Venezuela. Um, is uh, what you know what's going on is there seems to be um, in sort of the uh, standard operating um, uh, and appraised CIA uh, formula um, some 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 organizers on the student side who uh, kind of co-op student energy and 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 authentic youth. Um, uh, energy and, and their sense that there's not a great future um, 
for them and uh, they co-opt that and turn it into um, what appears on the outside to be um, a grassroots, uh, you know, movement of the people. Um, but Glenn alluded to uh, it being a manufactured unrest and um, even with, even it, it does indeed appear that way. Um, what makes this so interesting is just uh, um, Hugo Chavez um, and, uh, you know, the legacy that, that he still, uh, the legacy that he left behind and is still really fresh in a lot of people's minds, how he fought back uh, the imperialist power, um, essentially booted him out, um, uh, nationalized everything, and then, of course, too much money got involved and he, well, he, he corrupted, he, he was corrupted ultimately, and, and not really uh, a, a great model of, of the people's revolution by any means. But uh, you know, but the uh, the legend the legend lives on. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see um, how this spreads, if it does spread beyond Venezuela, um, you know, into into neighboring countries and. Um, you know, jumping across the Atlantic um, in our, you know, our, our normal familiar hotspot, um, Israel is ramping up offenses against Gaza. Um, there's been um, incursions uh, into Gaza from Israel, um, I think, every day for the last two weeks, um, at least, if they don't happen every day of the week, every year. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, my, my point is, um, and going back to what Glenn said, and one of the things, um, that I sort of think about a lot is how, you know, how do we, there's so much analysis and, you know, even just on our little Twitter niche, um, Dalek, there's so much analysis and there's so much pointing out and, um, uh, yelling about the problems and uh, uh, this person or, you know, this country is doing this or this group is doing that. But I, I, I never, I never um, really see any uh, solutions or even um, non, non-polar um, uh, things being, being expressed, um, you know, as a society, as a culture, we've been pushed out um, to two different, you know, to do two different poles and uh, the middle area, the gray area, um, where normal life takes place, um, is obfuscated and um, all we're left with is is the extremes. Um, You know, the left and the right paradigm, the whole whole trick of dualism. you know, and what I'm I'm ready to start hearing. Uh, I don't mean right now, but in general, um, I'm ready to start hearing um, some people putting forth solutions. And I think that that one of the reasons why we don't hear a lot um, of that kind of uh, um, thought being expressed, um, sort of a you know the ration, the more rational head, the calmer head is because, um, you know, to uh, 
put forth an idea um, is a is a risk. It's a personal risk, um, and uh, and I think too much um, uh, and too quickly, people who put forth ideas are sort of are, are shot down. Um, we don't live in an, an environment where um, suggestions that don't toe the line or um, fit within a certain paradigm, um, you know, they're they're dismissed um, too rapidly. Um, the old uh, expression, you know, the poppy that, that grows taller than the rest will have, be the first one to have its head cut off. Um, that's sort of uh, the type of culture we live in. Um, it is... Uh, extremely well um, maintained by um, our, our media system, by our political system, and then by us. You know, we perpetuate, um, you know, this constant state of um, manufactured uh, threat um, as much as anybody, um, you know, it's a it's a feedback loop, and if and if one part of the loop is removed and it can't feed back, it would do, it would cause a little a lot of interruption, um, you know. And I guess I guess if I'm going to ask for solutions, perhaps uh, I should put one forth. And um, you know, it, it's not an an ultimate; uh, it, it's simply a starting point, maybe. Um, and maybe not, but um, I think a, a, you know a, a great place to start would be to um, to disengage from the rhetoric um, that we're challenged with every day. And uh, there are a myriad of ways to do this. Um, probably the simplest is turning off the television um, and you know going down the line from. Uh, you know, starting to uh, remove yourself from, um, uh, you know, the your the power structure, the grid, all things like that undermine um, uh, the system that um, we're so entrenched in. Uh, you know, I, the biggest, the biggest, one of the biggest national security threats that um, the military undermines um, contemplate as they fall asleep is the uh you know the threat of an EMP and um a, a magnetic pulse that would essentially fry the the grid of uh this country um you know and uh possibly more depending on its source if it was a interstellar uh EMP it could just boom wipe and i think there've been plenty of movies about that um I mean, also there's also the, a sort the of cathartic um, yeah. side to that, you know, um, like a reset button. Um, and and uh, I, fi- I find it interesting that that, that is such a, um, such a uh, threat to the, you know, obviously I know why, but as far as uh, casualties, violence, um, of, well, I'm, I've digressed. Um, Alex, step in. Yeah. What What do you think about about this? Because I mean, your your Twitter handle, Twitter, 
Twitter handle is um, ANCAP, so anti-capitalistic, right? Well, not really. More of anarcho-capitalist. Okay. I believe in more of the free market, um, non-aggression, no using force in order to get your own um, kind of needs and wants, just use voluntary exchange and uh, kind of all those areas. Um, I'm more free market, I believe. Um, So I think mainly, I I think all the problems are just because of government. I mean, we look around through history. I mean, we look at... um, all the big empires, and you know, they always fell. Always, without question. Oh no, I do. Uh, uh, because I think that there, because there, they, there, I think there's a couple different reasons why, why, uh, pretty much the inevitable outcome of um, Yekulen 100%. I know it was, and I think there was another one based on uh, an EMP. Um, another TV series. I can't continue them. Maybe I can't remember. Um, um, but there's uh, also another one called um, Dark Angel. It was like the aftermath of it. It was really uh, cool. It was about this crazy um, kind of spy agent chick, and she goes around, and she's like a genetically modified human soldier. Is pretty cool. It was oh yeah. That. Oh yeah. Just real. <laughs> pretty hot chick, anyways. Um, so uh, but so the free market yeah I I mean I agree I think that that, uh, government interference um, you know has uh, pretty much um, everything to do with uh, over interference uh, I should say has a lot to do with uh, um all the all the troubles we face, right? Uh, from fiscal um, to ethical, um, across the board. Um, now, in in like your typical or in your sort of ideal world, how would the free market system work? Like, would it be full on? Um, uh, you know, survival of the fittest that type of free market enterprise? Um, No. I don't think it's that way, but what I'm kind of saying is mainly where I see mainly the free market, yeah, you do kind of have more of this, like, uh, survival of the fittest, but you have equal opportunity to actually get a job and to uh, become an entrepreneur without the kind of kind of like, uh, how do I say this in the best way, the fences of government to uh, only the big and rich to go to, which is absolutely ridiculous. I think everybody should have equal opportunity. I mean, just to make it fair, um, mainly. And and right now, what are like the biggest, what are the biggest obstacles to equal opportunity? Um, that you see as far as, um, um, you know, people getting an equal uh, shot at an education, something as basic as that. Like, what are the obstacles you see? Mostly financial? Um, well, um, I think it's it has lots of variables, uh, variables uh, to kind of actually take a 
take of it, but I think it's mainly taxation, um, using all those kind of things and just saying that you need your fair share. Right. Now, what, what, now if somebody came at you and said, um, well, that's just socialism, what would you say? No, I wasn't really talking about that. I was talking about let's get taxation out of here. No taxes, no nothing. Just kind of not, I mean, like more state. Gotcha. Yeah, and Glenn just, ch- Glenn just uh, chimed in, monopoly is the problem. And I, oh, yeah, no I, lie, a monopoly of force. I mean, a monopoly of force, um, also known as government. <laughs> yep, you got it. I mean, and we do, you know, we live in a, a corporate plutocracy, Um uh, where consolidation um, is, is has completely undermined any sense of capitalism, um, you know. And so when I hear uh, our, our political mouthpieces um, droning on about the wonderful capitalist system, there's very little capitalism in the United States. Um, now there is. There, there are those cases where, you know, people do go out and, and fucking work their asses off and they get the right breaks and, you know, the one in a million happens. And, of course, those are all the cases that politicians point to um, uh, to say that, oh, everybody's got a fair shake, you know, everybody's got a fair uh, shot at, at the American dream. Um, we, we, we all know at this point that that's, that's simply not a reality. Um, I mean, it, it, it's changed drastically even from when I was, you know, 20. Um, you know, um, so so I, I'm so, I, I did misunderstand, but I, I do understand um, that it's almost the opposite, opposite of socialism, what, what the free market that you, the free market culture and society that, that you envision now a practical question and I'm just playing devil's advocate because um, I, 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 I like the way you think um, but now how would you pay, pay for roads would that all be at the municipal level well um, remember the first episode that we like did with uh, Blue Vino and how he said well the government doesn't pay for the roads. The gas tax does, or more of the gas stations pay the roads, mainly just to make it um, kind of, I think it's about 50 cents in order to actually make the roads. So basically, what if the gas station, um, to actually have business, uh, they would actually um, kind of incentivize to build the roads? Um... I mean, now that's a solution, brother. Uh, like that—that that is a, that's an applicable um, and and pretty uh, 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 pretty sound uh, uh, idea. Um, I I would love to see like you know a line by line breakdown of. And I, and they, I don't think they they make this easy to find in in you know budget 
in in the budgets that they publish to the public and whether it be, you know, for a big city or um, a state or even at a larger scale, how much of a dollar actually goes to the things that we are being led to believe we are paying taxes for? I'd love to see that breakdown. I mean, you think of the infrastructure that bureaucracy has to support. Um, you know, there can't be a lot of that dollar left going to um, the things that most Americans think they're paying for when they pay into the tax system. Um, you know, you make a great point. Um, and Blue Vino did as well. Um, I, you know, I think uh, sort of uh, middle-of-the-road Americans, if they, if they saw a breakdown of, you know, how many cents on the dollar go to what you're being told it goes to. Um, and I think this goes to, with charities, too, with big charities, too. They would be absolutely appalled, um, you know. If, if we were ever serious about solving uh, a deficit, we would simply have everybody, you know, at, at the municipal level operate from their homes and do away with all the bullshit government buildings, you know? There is a... Oh, sorry. There's actually a book um, that basically uh, shows, like, um, how much money uh, by your own tax dollars actually go down to these, like, little uh, places. I forgot the book, but um, basically it shows, like, $50,000 going to a mark... Uh, to, like the state marching band uh, competition, or um, we got about eight hundred dollars going to band uniforms. I mean, it was really, really crazy. I mean, that could have been done like so much better with the um, uh, the free market. We could actually do that so much better um, with uh, you know voluntary interactions, you trade. Uh, this an X amount of medium currency for this kind of product. That's easy. That's simple. That's how free market works. That's how real capitalism works. And um, actually, Ayn Rand said it best. Um, capitalism is the most morally, uh, morally, best moral thing uh, that humans have ever created. Believe it or not. You know, Anne Brand is, uh, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm an Anne Rand fan. I'm not going to fucking lie. Um, I think uh, I think she had some incredibly uh, um, uh, sound and and very logical ideas. I think people had a lot of problem with her being a woman, a woman, and I think she also got. I think the uh, she. she she could become um, um, almost um, glib um, when when she spoke in public um, because because she was always aware of of the fact that she was speaking um, about quote of a man's world um, but uh you know people who just dismiss her as some sort of um, you know, uh, 
you know, uh, a demon or, or uh, that's not the right word, but um, like cold, uh, um, heartless, uh, ruthless um, woman who prognos- prognosticated like financial eugenics. Just, you know, they're just, they're just uh, misled. That's, that's not, that wasn't at the root of her, uh, of her philosophies. Um, in my opinion, in my opinion, um, you know, it's, it's too bad uh, that, what's his name, Ryan, the uh, vice president, um, his name be, has become associated with hers because I think it detracts from uh, um, uh, some of the value of uh, uh, what, she, what she has to say. Although, you know, that guy's financial policies um, were actually pretty decent. They're a little draconian. Um, oh, hell yeah, uh, dude. No lie. Yeah, it's pretty draconian, but, um, no, and I, I do, I think, I guess that's that's a good word. People think Ayn Rand is draconian, um, and uh, if you think Ayn Rand is draconian, but then think Milt Friedman is a economic whiz, uh, man, you know, I, uh, then I'm, I'm going to have an issue uh, getting through to because those two statements um, are paradoxical. Um, you know, it's interesting how the neoliberals view Milt Friedman and his Chicago School of Economics and uh, the Chicago Aid, uh, or excuse me, Chicago School of Economics, the Chicago Boys. The Chicago Aid were those poor gentlemen who got throttled in that riot at the uh, Democratic National Convention. Um, but, uh, uh, or organized it and then got throttled. Um, but uh, back to uh, um, what I was talking about, Milt Friedman, who you know was the architecture of uh, of the usurpation of uh, of Chile and uh, the assassination of Allende and the implementation of uh, you know so maybe the first model of like the true new neo-colonial um, uh, manual of how to uh, um, just completely undermine a country's economy, um, sell off its assets, um, jail its people in big stadiums, you know, slaughter them. Um, that was an incredibly brutal time in Chile. Um, you know, and and this is the formula that we continue to to use, and I think uh, it brings it back around to Venezuela. I mean, I think this is the formula that um, we tried to use it on Chavez. He rebuked. He was you know replaced, and he rebuked the uh, the coup. Um, but uh, you know, I. I it, it doesn't seem that, that the people who make policy to um, um, extend the arm of uh, the American corporation, um, they don't have a lot of tricks in their playbook. They seem to be going back to the same one um, again and again. But, hey, I guess if it works, um, why change? Um, and it, 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 it's, uh, it's working all over the world right now. Um, Dalek, I have to get a beer. Do you want to play, uh, take a little break? 
Sure, why not? Um, what do you want to have, bud? Whatever you want, man. Whatever. I, I, I'm going to keep putting stuff on there, but uh, whatever you want. To, there's not that much on there, but whatever you want, something upbeat, you know. All right. Uh, you know what? We're going to do a little bit of Center Man. Or is that a little bit kind of depressing? I forgot. No, that, no. That's, that's, that's stellar. That's a great song. All right. We'll be back after this break. Hmm? You sound really comfortable. Yeah, dude. It's really nice. Here, uh, let's get on to um, the screen call. Okay, cool.
and we are back. Welcome, everybody, to Third Rail Radio. If you guys would like to call in, please do, since we are about to go to overtime. Uh, it is 646-929-1480, or also right by nearby the number. How about let's you guys can call on Skype. So, please do that, um, definitely. And hell, if Kenny Glenn, come on in. Awesome. Hey, um, uh, I'm going to, uh, for Saturday, I'm going to go ahead and set up, uh, and I know we're live, but um, I'm going to go ahead and set up the 1-800 number option. All right, okay. I, th- um, I think that would be cool. And uh, you know, do you know where uh, where our, our current um, incantation of our name, Third Rail Radio, comes from? You were in the conversation. Um, I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. Org Nine gave it to us, right? I think I was talking like about going off the crazy, uh, the the crazy train, the crazy rails, yeah. and stuff like that. You got it was pretty awesome. Wasn't it Org Nine? Yeah, it was about the whole crazy. It was wow. It was a but, great time. Uh, that was still a great song too. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so she she gave us. She essentially gave us our our current name, organized. So and remind me, I actually want to shout it out to her on the Saturday show because uh, that was right. an awesome conversation. All right. Yeah. Definitely, dude. Hell yeah. It was a great time, and I. Yes, this is Glenn. Glenn, 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 Glenn. Canadian Glenn, how are you, sir? Not bad, guys. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. I'm. Uh, I think I'm. I think I'm getting my groove here. I think we'll be ready for Saturday. How are you doing today, man? Oh, all right. Pretty quiet day. Not much going on. It's. Uh, it's finally warming up. So I think I'll actually leave the apartment tomorrow and see what it's like out there. Hey now, Woo-hoo-hoo. happy days. Uh, I, um, at your, you're on the west. I noticed the, the increase in daylight, um, almost, almost, like almost on the 22nd of December. I'm pretty sensitive to it, and uh, I still, uh, I still do catch a pretty good case of spring fever. I have to tell you, and I feel it creeping in. Um, and I embrace I embrace it wholeheartedly. I mean, we still have a long winter to go. It's snowing like a banshee out there right now. Um, I think right now it's snowing. We got three inches an hour. Yeah, that's not bad. It's not too bad. I, on the Jersey Turnpike, um, at one point for like 45 minutes, they said the snow was falling at a rate of six inches an hour. That's pretty fucking heavy snowfall right there, man. Oh no, why, dude? Damn. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, yeah, the eastern seaboard is pretty much just on lockdown. Um, nobody's going anywhere. Everything's canceled. Um, you know, and, and which is which is good. Um, it actually, I thought about what. Glenn and I were talking about last night. Alec was with um, between um, um, you know like the the engineers um, that 
funds and electricity and the engineers that, you know, um, are project uh, leaders or whatever, and they have no sense of sort of the, the actual uh, logistics of, of applying what they're – there's a disconnect. You see what I'm saying? And I mm-hmm. saw that. Yeah. I, I see this in these snowstorms, this disconnect between um, the public and the private sector. The public sector um, is telling people to stay off the road, it's dangerous, et cetera. The private sector is saying, I don't give a fuck. You better be here at work. And so, um, it, you know, it was just a, it just struck me as another example of, of a, another, another, uh, synapsial misfiring in our whole network. Um, it, and this is where I said, you know, we're saying, are, are we create? am I creating change? I say, and then I replied, well, you are creating change. I mean, with uh, what you're doing, what we're doing right now, and plus uh, you owning businesses. I mean, it's just... You are creating the change that you want to see in the world through the younger generations and the younger, younger generations to come. I think it, it, right now, as you as a business owner and also a radio show host, you are creating the change that you want to see just by actually letting people lead by example. Well, you know, what you said that day, it's why, why we're here. And it's also, I'm on like my uh, longest best mood stretch ever. So I, I sincerely thank you for that. Oh, it is seven days, dude. I, I either have uh, a tumor or I'm happy. Um, well, I guess we'll see. But uh, you know that that's a thank you. I appreciate that, Alec. And and, and uh, you know as. Uh, yeah, you got to show up, man. You got to show up. If anything's going to happen, we have to show up. Um, you know, and I, you know, the, the keyboard activists um, have a huge role to play. Um, but it, it's a two. This is a a left brain, right brain um, endeavor. You know, this isn't this isn't uh, all math and it's not all poetry. It's uh, it, it's a uh, it's an assimilation of both, um, you know, and uh, one needs to equate the other. There needs to be equilibrium. Oh, no, I think Well, that's, that's right back to what Terrence McKenna was talking about, though. I mean... Yeah. Oh, before big... we leave, before we leave, we have uh, 30 seconds left on the show. Um, Welcome. I like to welcome everybody. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys go back. Uh, definitely, if you guys will listen this onto the archives, um, I hope you guys rate this. Um, probably even favorite this if uh, Block Talk Radio actually has something like that. Uh, just actually download it. Do whatever you guys need to. Thank you guys for listening. Goodbye. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Dude, you rocked, Alec. Glenn, go ahead. It is with well, Oh yeah, definitely. It's that it's that big center part, and it's being bred out of people. You know, it's it's not being taught, it's not being encouraged, it's not even being 
recognized in forms of media, even the education system, nothing else. It's just you're supposed to forget all about it. You're not supposed to even talk about it. It's just you're either on this end or you're on this end, and that's all there is. And there is no in-between, and if you're in-between, then you can't belong to either one of our fine groups, so fuck you, get out of here. Right. And that's insane, because... That's insane, because life is lived in the gray area. Exactly. The vast majority of humanity will always be in the middle. You know, but it's just, they're trying to, well, again... They're trying to remove that. I mean, every, every totalitarian system, every fascist system tries to do that. You know, it's re-education, quote-unquote. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's, not, it's just not possible. You know, it's not going to work. My, my wife's a principal, and, uh, you know, and I'm also really also interested, really interested in, um, in education. Sorry about that. Um, and uh, the institution of public uh, education, um, you know, and so I've looked at the Common Core pretty closely. Um, and it, man, it's a pretty insidious uh, um, initiative. It, it has all the beautiful buzzwords that people love to hear is going on around their kids. Um, you know, but that's all there are. But that, you know, that's all they are are buzzwords. Um, if 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 you took a moment to read a little deeper into the Common Core, um, you see the curriculum is even more homogenized and more consolidated than no child left. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's really nefarious. Uh, nefarious, dude. I mean, goodness, I was always around, um, like. Uh, charter and private education most of my life. I mean, it really has showed me to, you know, reject authority, kind of question it, um, kind of bring up and think for my own self. Yeah. I, that, that's, uh, I, my parents put a premium on education um, and, uh, my God, am I grateful. Um, so, I I did grow up, you know, outside of uh, um, the existing construct of, like, the public education system um, in my day-to-day life. Um, and, you know, yeah, I consider myself extremely fortunate. You know, I, I think I'd probably be in jail if, uh, if they hadn't, if my parents had put a premium on education. Um, you know, not for anything, um, uh, you know, for some stupid shit, you know, um, nothing, nothing malicious. Um, but my, you know, education is, uh, you know, I learned how to think critically and analytically, or at least I hope, hope I did. I think I did. And, um, and I, I, you know, I learned, um, when to apply a linear, um, type of thinking and want to allow the tangents um, to come in. And uh, with my predilection for attention deficit disorder, that was an incredibly viable um, skill that, that I learned. 
um, you know, so that's interesting. You grew up in in a uh, in a similar uh, educational environment, and and Glenn in Canada, and it, pardon my ignorance, uh, there aren't like a I mean besides boarding schools because I know I had friends who went to boarding school in Canada, but are there are there in you know. Uh, Ontario or um, Vancouver, is there like a uh, uh, cadre of sort of elite private schools and then the public school system? Yeah, the 100% private schools have always been around, and it's always been, you know, a very strict pedigree. It's pretty much, oh, yeah, I went course. there, you know, I it's went there, course. my kids will go there. Their kids will go there, that sort of thing. But um, in the last oh, 10 years, there's been a real increase in the charter school system. And, uh, of course, that has brought big problems with funding because yeah. they don't want to stick to the mandated curriculum minimums. And uh, there's been all the usual shit about vultures or how are taxes going to go to these charter schools, or should they be fed with tax money at all? And then they look into the charter schools, and it's very different from the public curriculum. Most of them, there's a lot more emphasis on specific theological school of thought, and uh, that doesn't go over very well in Canada. Canada is very secular. Yeah. You know, I'd say out of the G7 countries, probably Canada has the highest percentage of people that pick none for religion on any sort of census form. You know, it's just not a big thing up here for the most, especially in the urban areas. And in Canada, I think about 80 to 85% of the population is now urban. So, you yeah, know, it, it's an it's an issue, but charter schools they're around. I mean, they're making they're not going anywhere. They're here now, and again, it's a very polarized issue. It is. There's people they on is on paper. You know, they're a good sell, um, but but that money, man. You know, they're open to to corporate interests, um, and. And that and that takes anything that looks good on paper and adds variables um, that can't be uh, you know that can't be calculated for um, you know like charter schools you know they had they had promise and uh, and it, and again it's sort of just been ruined by money I, you know it's interesting I asked about the private school system in in uh, in Canada, without even remembering, and this is like how short-sighted we, we could be, like, you know, and, and we talked about this just last night, it's just an extension of, of the British system. So, yeah, I bet there are a shit ton of really good elite boarding schools there. So, oh, yeah. Let, so you went to a private school as well? No, I went public. I went public. Um, when I went to school... It was pretty much one size fits all, and I didn't fit into that too well. Um, I, I actually, I actually spent two days in grade one, 
and then I was in grade two. Yeah, sounds and, about right. And, and then when I was finished grade three, they wanted to put me into grade five. And my mother said, no, you're not going to turn him into this little undersized geek. He's going right. to have a, a normal childhood. So, you know, I, I owe her forever for backing them off, but it's because they had no other way to deal with me. Yeah. And kids like and kids like me. You know, it was the way the system was set up then here, it was basically your IQ is supposed to be between one hundred and one hundred and thirty. And then you just go to school. And they had no programs for one forty plus. They had no programs for seventy and below. You know, it was it was a real cookie cutter system, and it didn't work worth a shit. So oh, I, no, dude, I was no. I was lucky enough. I was lucky enough that I got into what they called the first gifted program in my city, right. and it was so unlike everyday school. It was like unbelievable. A world. But, oh. oh, totally. Like I can remember. Well, I mean, I'm aging myself, but the Vietnam War was still going on. And I was in grade five. And here's all these kids sitting around a table with a globe in the middle. And we were discussing the geopolitical ramifications of the Vietnamese war. Whoa. And then we'd go back. And this was only half a day once a week that we went to this. That's all they could afford because it was a pilot program. Right. And then, you know, and uh, there was... And then uh, back think, to Gen Pop. Yeah, and then we'd go back to school the next day, and it'd be like, here's your construction paper and your crayons. Yeah, exactly, back to general population. Yeah, Man. and it was like, wow, this is just, wow, I'm supposed to pay attention here now, after that? Yeah. And yeah, it, that, did make, that. it did make some problems for me, you know. Yes. I can that I can see that. I mean, to give, you know, to, to give uh, a child the contrast between like a drab world and one where they're like, whoa, man, my my circuits are lighting up. It's hard to put them back in that, or it's hard for that child to get put in that back in the other world. There's no doubt. Um, did well, you get into like a, um, a electricity like through the pilot program? Oh no. No, no. Uh, I think the biggest thing about the gifted program when they started it was the, big, the biggest thing that enabled all of us that were in that was that it was just a matter of the people in charge saying, here's the subject. Go at it. And for kids that are 10 or 11 years old, that's completely unheard of. I mean, it was just like, we were like, huh. Are you serious? We get we get to formulate what should be done or what we talk about or it it was amazing, you know, it was such a contrast from what normal schooling is, you know, with the bells and this and put up your hand and you know, it was completely different. And yeah, putting us back into the normal system it caused problems for quite a few of us who were in that class. And, yeah. you know, they kind, of, 
they knew about it, but they didn't know what to do. Right. So their answer was to keep trying to push us further up the ladder faster. And that wasn't a solution either. Um, as I got older, they started to come up with what they called academic programs at maybe one school in the whole city. So at that time, if your parents couldn't get you to that school for that program, well, then too bad, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was very stopgap. It was, you know, we, we don't really know what to do. And then by the time I got to high school, the biggest problem was is the system had absolutely no teeth because I found out that I could outsmart teachers, I could outsmart administrators because I was smarter than them. And it scared the shit out of them. And then they would try... <laughs> You know, it, it's like yeah. anything else. It's, it's like they say about middle management. You never hire anybody smarter than yourself. So if you have stupid middle management, you've got stupid frontline people. I mean, that's yeah. just the way it goes. Yeah, but you got it. The problem was I scared people in administration at the high school, and we used to outsmart them and make them look stupid quite frequently, a group of us. And, of course, what's their only recourse? Discipline. And that only made it worse, you know, because maybe we were pretentious, maybe we felt, you know, we were special or something. But, I mean, when you start disciplining people for being in the same room as somebody who does something wrong, that's not going to go over well. And this is the kind of shit that we were being subjected to. We were being suspended for being in the same hallway as somebody doing something at the other end of the hallway. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, because we were there. So we must have been in charge. And, right. That's it. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I actually, I see that dynamic happen. Uh, um, uh, actually, with some frequency, just sort of the, the default uh, in charge becomes the uh, sort of the default scapegoat. Um, Yes, without question. Well, it's just an easy way to try and keep the organizers at bay. You know, if you can control the, like in a school situation, if you can control the kids that the rest of the kids listen to, your job's going to be a lot easier. And that's what they defaulted to, just the same old shit, you know. Nothing's yep. changed in thousands of years on that score. Yeah. So by the by the time I was ready to graduate high school, after getting I don't know how many pieces of paper telling me how wonderful I was, and yet I figured, well, if I'm so wonderful, why do you people do things like this? But uh, it came to the point where all I had to do was sign a piece of paper, and I was enrolled in university. <laughs> 